Hello, Saubona, how's it, Molo, Jumbo, and welcome to the Everyday Nation Podcast. We hope this message will inspire you and draw you closer to Christ. Enjoy. Eternity matters, where we've been talking about the life that is to come, that we should store up our treasures in heaven and not in this current life. And it's been a very exciting series. It's been a very inspirational series. I mean, like Pastor Wayne's last message on calling was a very awesome message. You know, that we are all called for something special, that our lives matter, that we must live for eternity, that we all have something special in the inside of us. And God has blessed us so marvelously with gifts, with talents, with relationships, with every possible gift, you know, to live for eternity and, and uh, give him glory. So this week, uh, well, it's a once-off message, so we're just going to take a different tone of things. Uh, I want to we, talk about breaking free from oppression. Yeah, it's not, really, it's not really a very popular topic, oppression. You know, when you talk about oppression, people think about demon possession. And the, the super spiritual of us are going like, mm-mm, not me, Mzalwan. Nah, no. I'm a devil, I'm a tongue-speaking, devil-kicking Christian. This is not my portion. It's not none of me. I'm out, I'm out of here. So I beg you, I beg you, please, this morning, don't switch off. Let us engage with the word. Let us hear what God has for us, and let us be attentive. And for some of us who automatically think when we hear the word oppression, we think political oppression, I'm not talking about that oppression. Uh, Pumlani made, me sh- made sure that I remember that throughout this whole entire week. We are not talking about political oppression, okay? Even though elections are coming up and ESCOM is doing his thing, we're not talking about that. Okay, so the, the di- dictionary definition of oppression is prolonged, cruel, or unjust treatment of exercise of authority. You know, when I was thinking earlier on, I was just, you know... Uh, Certain things go up in my head, you know, I, I, I think differently. In color, in picture, it's all funny. When I, think about, when I was thinking about oppression, one thing that came into mind, tight shoes. <laughs> I mean, honestly, have you ever worn tight shoes? They just like grip your toes and they're like there. And you know, it looks good on the outside and everything looks all good and hunky-dory, but there's this thing that's just holding you down and just pressing you. And every time you breathe out, it feels like it comes in even further. (laughs) And that's what oppression feels like. It's like there's this thing that's pressing you down and it's just like, you know, it's not making you comfortable. It's not giving you room. So uh, we're going to talk about breaking free from that. And... uh, I just uh, let's quickly open up to the book of Nehemiah, chapter two. Just as you quickly page to chapter two, uh, we are going to do a little bit of a trip through Nehemiah, but uh, I'm going to skip and do a little bit of jumping here and there. So I'm just going to give you some context of what you've missed out in the first chapter. So the Jews have been held captive in Babylon, so they've been held captive by the the Babylonians and. Now that the captivity is almost coming to an end, you know, it's like, uh, what's this? It's like 91 and all of those years where black people are allowed to go back to 
to go to white schools and all of that. So it's a little bit relaxed. So some of the Jews were able to go back to Jerusalem. So Nehemiah meets one of his friends and he asks them, so what has happened of the Jerusalem, the city, which is so precious to them? It's the city of David, is the city of promise, is the city that God has given them. And they tell him that it's in utter ruins. It's a mess. It's in a total state. And he's devastated by it. So that's where we pick up in chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in the month of, Nis- of Nisan, in the twelfth year of of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and I gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid, and I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, when the, city the place, my father's tomb lies, lies waste, and its gates are burned with fire. Um, then the king said to me, what do, you re- what do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tomb, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, The queen also was sitting uh, beside him. How long will your journey be? And when, uh, and when will you return? So, so if it pleased the king to send, so it pleased the king to send me, and I set a time. So what happened is that Nehemiah was devastated by what has happened to his hometown. And, uh, and he was praying in the chapter before, in chapter one, he prayed when you, you know, and he mourned and he, and, and he was fasting. So he was totally sad. And then when he comes before the king, the king sees that his countenance is kind of down. And, you know, and then, throughout, and, and, and then the king gives him the right to go back to his, to his hometown. And when he gives him the right to go back to his hometown, he also gives him provision to go to rebuild the city. So he gives him utterly everything that he's prayed for. Like his prayers were answered. All that he was trusting for is coming to pass. He's excited. He's about to go back to, to, to Jerusalem and is about to rebuild it. It's sort of like a new year, new year, new me, new resolutions for him. He's really amped out to go and rebuild. It's sort of like how we start the year off where we're so excited. It's like, you know, everyone's always so excited and everyone, when they come to work, they even pack a lunch box. They don't, you know, buy from the canteen or whatever. You know, it's a new year. I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to do great. Even the, even the varsity people this year, you just decided I'm going to cover my books for once and I'm going to be proper. I'm going to have a timetable. I'm going to start attending. I'm not going to dodge any lectures. It's going to be a new year. I'm going to pass my modules. It's going to be great. We all start off with that excitement. I mean, like, there's, oh, you, you know, there's, a, there's that little chuckle because we all know what's coming next, right? As we start off with this excitement of, yes, you know, God, I'm trusting in you. You have answered. You have provided. You have been good. And we have these new resolutions. And some of us have new resolutions when it comes to our work, when it comes to our studies, and when it comes to our families, and also when it comes to our relationship with God, where we feel like this is the year I'm going to grow closer to God. I'm going to pray more. 
I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do all these things more and more and more. And we have these things set before us and we kick off the year. And uh, even the, the series that we were kicking off the year with were quite exciting. We were talking about spiritual fervency. And we talked about living for eternity. Exciting stuff. And we're really excited for the year. Jump to, jump to, jump to verse uh, 18. So Nehemiah goes to, his, uh, to, to Jerusalem and then he meets some of the people that are living there in devastation. So he tells them his good news. It's like, guess what? You know, God has given me favor. So he says to them, and I told, um, and I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's word that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands um, to do this good work. But Sanballat of Horat, Tobiah the Amorite official, and Geshmi the Arab heard of this. And they laughed at us. And they despised us. And they said, this, uh, what is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? Now, after all this excitement and this great favor, and like, you know, everyone's excited. They're saying, let us rise up and let's build. Let us do this thing. Yay! Then all of a sudden comes this guy out of nowhere with a funny name, like Sand Ballot. And he's like, huh, what are you doing? You know what? We are Papa, right? <laughs> You're too excited. And he, and he has his friends there and they begin to discourage them. And they begin to speak negatively against them. And you know what? Op- opposition is going to come. Opposition is a guarantee. I don't know how, how your year started and how, we, how it's gone. But I guarantee you, for some of us, we have encountered some op- opposition along the way. We've encountered a couple of no's. We've encountered a couple of strikes along the way. We've counted a couple of fuel hikes and load sheddings and all these other things that are affecting us badly. And they just come out of nowhere. Just like Sanballat, like boom, right there. In 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul says to Timothy, In fact, everyone who wants to live a good life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So it's almost a guarantee that we will be persecuted. That there's something that is going to come and it's going to disrupt you and it's going to disturb what, is God, what God is doing in your life. What God has been trying, what the word of God has been spoken over you, there's going to be something or someone that's just going to come along and step on your toes in the wrong way or just vex you in the wrong way or that lecturer who's just going to decide that they're not going to teach you anything. They're going to come into class and tell you that, Okay, for this semester, study chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and uh, we'll only read chapter 7, and we'll have a test next week. And after all that excitement, you kind of like, um, oh, say me Jesus. You know, in, uh, in, in, in uh, what's this? Where, where is this? In Luke 8, Jesus tells this parable of the seed and the sower. 
where the sower comes, where the, where, the, where the sower comes and he drops, where he plants a seed, and different things try to hinder it. And one of the things that he says is that when the when the seed is planted, thorns and thistles came up, and they begin to choke the seed. You know, at the beginning of this year, we all have some promise. We all have some desires that you know we want to achieve certain things, but certain things are going to come up and they're going to choke it. Different things, you know, pressures of life are going to come up. Expectations, family pressures, work pressures. You know, that boss that you don't like so much. That co-worker who just, you know, doesn't know what to, just their mouth and needs some Colgate <laughs> and sunlight. <laughs> it's just going to come up and it's going to really try and choke the word and choke what God has put in the inside of you. And... For some, and sometimes we're so not aware of what's happening, and we're so unaware of what's happening around us. Uh, let's move to Nehemiah chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 1. So it happened when Sanballat heard, <coughs> heard that we were rebuilding the wall, that, we, uh, that he was furious and very indignant, and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of uh, Samaria, and said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifice? Will they complete, uh, will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish? Stones that were burnt. Now Tobiah the Amorite was besides him, and he said, Whatever they build, even a fox going uh, up on it will break it down, will break down their stone wall. Now, just out of nowhere, Sanballat and his friends decide, you know what, let's just give them, let's bash them, badmouth bad them. And if you look at this, I mean, like, the Jewish settlements were in ruins. There was no hope. It was like, yes, I have a tiny little bit of hope because God has said something and has given me favor with the king. But when I look at the situation, it's heaps of rubble. It's burnt. The people are afraid. We're all scattered. And, this, and these people just come up and be like, what are you doing? Like, seriously, what are you doing? What is this little thing that you're doing? Look at this little wall of yours. Look at that. Even a fox can knock it over. When we start and we have times where people will come up to us or situations will come up to us which will discourage us. They'll come against us and will come and oppose us. That you've been trusting God for a breakthrough and you've been coming to church and you've been, you've been faithful and you've been really trying to get to know God and you've been engaging in the word. And then maybe a friend comes along and be like, where are you going? To church. When? <laughs> or you're doing whatever you're doing or you're just like trying to reach out to someone at work and immediately they just become worse. I mean, connect group leaders, we, we know discouragement. If you are a connect group leader, holler at me. We know discouragement. Uh, there's a little meme I want to show you. <laughs> Some of our student leaders should, should that. <laughs> we know discouragement. 
when you're busy trying to get people, you're excited, you've got your eye connect ready, you're amped, you're prayed up. Come guys, let us sit. No one shows up. You got your one-to-one, you got your purple book, you're calling this person, you're texting them, come, we're going to do the one-to-one, we're going to do the purple book, it's going to be great, it's going to be awesome, you're going to get to know God, you're going to go, you know, the fullness of God, the riches of His glory inside of you, it's going to be great, they don't show up, or they just turn out worse. I mean, I kind of have like a little bit of a, of a streak with this uh, over several years, this is, this is really funny. I mean, like, I actually laugh at it because it happens so often. You know that I often, like, start discipling someone, and they're like, yeah, I really want to know God. You know, I, I'm, I'm really cut. I just feel like I'm, I, really, I want to invest in a relationship with him, and I want to get to know him. I'm like, great, dude. Come. Pull up my one-to-one. Let's do this. We start doing the one-to-one. Week one goes by. Great. Week two goes by. Great. Week three goes by. And then they come to me. I have something to tell you. Oh, really? What's happening? Uh, there's this girl. It's happened more than four times. <laughs> there's this girl. I'm like, okay, what about this girl? You know, we're close friends. She's really great. She's kind. She's caring. She's sweet. And uh, one thing led to another. Now she's my girlfriend. Oh, wow, Really? Okay, great. All right. Is she, you know, does she go to church? Is she Bible believing? Eh, not really. And then all of a sudden, dude goes from, I'm serious. I want to get to know God. I just want, you know, I want to be great. I want to really know what God has out for me to becoming. I have this girlfriend and now my girlfriend is telling me this and I'm telling me that. And, you know, and all of a sudden, poof, dude's gone out of church. I can only tell this story from a male perspective because I disciple males. It could be other, it could be different for someone who disciples girls, okay? It works both ways. <laughs> it works both ways. It's not exclusively towards men only. So how does, you know how often this makes you feel? It makes you feel crushed. Like I invested my time with this person. I invested my effort and all that I've done and then all of a sudden, they're just gone. You know, you feel discouraged. Even at work, even when you're trying to reach out to somebody, they just turn around and they say something which just makes you just, you know, you just want to tell them that, you know what, there's a special place in hell reserved for that tongue. But you don't tell them. You end up going to, you know, you, you end up identifying with the song that's going around, that's going, Salsubuya, you know, that house song. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> we're done. God, come back. Salsubuya. There's nothing anymore. There's nothing. We're done with this. We, are, we get discouraged. And we, it's, just like, it's just like we get discouraged and we feel, is it worth it anymore? Is it worth believing? Is it worth investing our times and our effort? Is it worth reading my Bible? Because 
you know, I just don't get what this thing is all about. I mean, like these funny names, San Balat, San what, what, San Jose. You, like, I don't get it. Discouragement happens to all of us. And it is one of the devil's biggest weapons. You know, First Peter three eight, First uh, Peter five eight. It says, "Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks ar- works about like a roaring lion, seeking whom it may devour." You know, Satan is always looking for a gap to come into your life, to come into your walk with God, to come in and cause disruption. He's just always looking for a gap. He's kind of like those taxi drivers in the middle of traffic. They will find that gap. Like, you just, it's there, pavement, there, wherever. He will find that gap. (laughs) He's looking for that gap in your life. Wherever it is, wherever there's an opening, wherever there's a place, he's going to stick his foot in right there. He's going to come in with a different thing or whatever it is. It could be discouragement. It could be, it could be lack. It could be like, it could be robbing you or stealing your finances or, or taking away or whatever or, or taking away um, anything that is happening in your world. He's always looking for that gap. We've got to be vigilant. We've got to be sober. Let's jump to verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 7. Oh, Nehemiah, why does he always have to start these things? With, and now it happens. Maybe he was just too overwhelmed with all this drama that's happening to him. It's like, so it happened. And it happened. And it happened. So verse 7 says, Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, and uh, the, the Ar- Ar- Arabs, uh, the Aramite and the Ash, what? Ashdites, heard that the wall of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed. Then they became very angry. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Verse 11. Also, our enemies said, because they, be, uh, before they know it and, and see us, we will be right there amongst them and we will kill them. And put an end to this work. Then the Jews who lived near, near them came and told us ten times over. What, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Now they started off by discouraging and saying bad words. And just causing the courage and the confidence of Nehemiah and his friends to just wane a bit. Just to pull it away. But Nehemiah continued building. He continued building. And then the walls were starting to close and the gaps, you know. It's starting to look some, like something. I'm sure Nishnash or whatever his name was, he's very disappointed about his fox comment at this stage. And they see that their plan's not working, so they decide to threaten them and they conspire to attack them and to cause confusion. I mean, like 10 times over, people were coming to them with this report that they're saying, wherever you look, wherever you turn, they're going to get you. After, uh, what's the first thing? After discouragement comes fear. The enemy will use fear and frustration to knock the word of God out of our lives, to knock the hope out of our lives, to knock 
whatever we are trusting God for out of our lives, to knock the work of God out of our lives, where fear becomes a thing. When you're busy studying and you're trying to get your degree, then all of a sudden someone comes and says, you know what, graduates don't get a job these days. This thing you're doing is a waste of time. When you're busy, when you're working, then all of a sudden there's threats of retrenchment. There's talk of downscaling. The economy is not doing so great these days. Any day now, you might see job losses. The fuel price has gone up. The cost of living, it's too much. If you want to see fear, just go look at the news. I mean, like, I, I, I think they specialize in this thing called fear. Every time you go there, it's like, yeah, if you look at the economy, yeah, uh, South Africa's growth rate is zero point something something. It's really bad. It's really bad. There's really no hope. It should be at six point what, 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 but the, it's just not looking down. There's, there's, there's downscaling in the agricultural sector, whatever sector, manufacturing, and all of that. And then if you think, okay, if it's not the economy, ESCOM. The whole day, every day. They even have special people to come in and give a testimony of how bad load shedding is. They're like, uh, do you guys understand that it's happening to all of us? I mean, like, no one has a monopoly on load shedding. It's not like someone else's problem. It's all our problems. So if you're going to show someone busy saying, I'm so frustrated. I've been trying to study all day, and then the power goes out, and the Wi-Fi goes up. We're like, ditto, dude. <laughs> the idea is that we become scared, and we lose focus of the things that matter. That we shift and we look to things that don't matter, and then we live a life that is in perpetual fear. Oh, the crime rate. Oh, this. Oh, that. Oh, this. Oh, that. Where your, your constant thought and your constant mind's meditation is no longer on how, God good, how good God is. It's on how bad the situation is. On how bad the country is. How corrupt the government is. It's bad, bad, bad. Bad, bad, bad. I don't know about you, but have you ever been around, around people who like complaining? It's sort of like a, you know, like when you, put, when you pop a balloon and you let air out. And it goes, That's how it feels when you're around people that like complaining, negativity and fear and all those other things. You might have, be having a good day and they're just going to come up, hey, hey. <laughs> Nothing positive ever comes out of their mouth. It's really bad, hey? It's really bad, hey? Hey, And you walk away from there and your immediate feeling is no longer like, yay. God is good, it becomes, oh my goodness, I really have to study for this test. (laughs) Oh my goodness, am I really going to get fired? I wonder who's next. It it better not be me. Where fear and frustration creeps in. When we get frustrated, one of the things that frustrates, though, that happens is we get attacked in in our sleep. We have these funny dreams and all these things that steal our sleep. Now, I remember this one time 
when I was still kind of new in this Christian thing. And I was, um, you know, like I would, every night I would be like, God, the following morning I'm going to wake up. Before the sun rises, I'm going to be up and I'm going to be having my quiet time. You'll see. And I'll go to bed and then I'll have insomnia. Tossing and turning, tossing and turning, couldn't sleep, probably fall asleep at four in the morning. And all of a sudden, before I realize it, it's way early. I was in varsity, so it's seven and I'm still in bed. (laughs) And I wake up about, oh. Like, have you ever noticed when you have bad, when you have a bad night's sleep, your day is just not good. You just not great. It's negative, it's sad, it's depressing, it's all of these things that is just not, they are not good. You know, if you look at the interaction between Nehemiah and Sanballat and all these people, you'd notice something, is that Sanballat is a regular person who just pops out of nowhere and has an agenda. He pops out of nowhere. Our immediate, uh, our immediate thought would probably be like, ah, it's just, you know, he wasn't loved as a child. He's got issues. You know, some people are just mean. And our, under, and our response will be in the natural only. We, on, we, we, we sometimes, when we're going through these things, we can only respond in the natural. Like, ah, no, he's just a bad boss. You know, he's stressed. It's all of that. We, we, we rationalize it in the natural and we respond in the natural. But I want you to notice Nehemiah's response. Nehemiah's response was never in the natural. He did not respond in the natural first. If you go back uh, to, to chapter 2, verse 19, when Sanballat initially gives his threat and says, what are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king? You pathetic little Jews, according to him. Chapter 20, Nehemiah's response. So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise, build, but you have no heritage or right or 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 memorial in Jerusalem. His response was not a natural response. It wasn't a hamba. Or you know, or it wasn't. I'm just gonna knock. To, I'm not gonna talk to you. I'm gonna give you the silent treatment. I'm just gonna avoid you. His response was not in the natural. He started off by saying, "Our God, the God that we serve." Jump into chapter, jump, uh, jump back to chapter four, verse three, and then uh, what's this guy's name? Tobiah was busy saying the fox will knock your wall down. Nehemiah responds, verse 4. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their, repro- turn their reproach on, on their own heads. Nehemiah's response was spiritual first. He responded by praying. He responded by praying. He responded by faith. He responded by God, not the circumstance. God, not the fear, not whatever is happening or whatever. He didn't really, he didn't really pay much attention to these people. He wasn't really much into all these things. He was aware of their little tricks, but he never, he never ever took 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 them to much uh, to much 
much thought. Verse 9, after they give them the threat and they're saying they're coming to kill them. Chapter 4, verse 9. Nevertheless, we made our prayers to our God. And because of them, we set watch against them day and night. The response was, nevertheless, we gave our prayers to our God. The thing about spiritual oppression and the devil is that he is so sneaky. You'll never see him coming. And you'll never understand. It feels like life is just happening to you. Like you're having a bad day. Like people are just being mad at you. Like this is happening. It all feels natural. It all feels like it's a part of life. It's a situation that everyone goes through. I mean, lately we've been going through, uh, we've been having this, um, this talk over the country where we've been talking about met- mental issues. We're talking about depression and all of that. And you know, you, you know like the world's response to most things is this acceptance thing. I don't know. It's like, it's like we accept it. You know, first thing, depression is a part of life. Which literally means pack it up and put it in your back pocket because it's not going anywhere. It's a part of you. Live with it. Where it literally means just accept it. It's going to be a part of it. You know, the economy is bad. We're not, you know, joblessness. Yeah, it's a bad time. It's a bad season. It's a bad thing. Let's accept it. Where it's been packaged and it's put in, it's slipped in. Just like Jesus said in, 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 in Luke, he says, thorns will come up and they will choke the word. Things will come up and they will choke the word. The devil will come and he will choke whatever God is doing in, in, inside of us. He will choke it. And we will never be with none the wiser. You'll think, oh no, it's all natural, it's all good. Just slowly, 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 slowly choking it. Giving you my definition of the tight shoes. Just accept it. They're really good, but they're really tight. If you want to wear them, just if you want to look good, just put them on. It's part of life. We have to be aware of what the devil is doing in our lives. We have to be aware. We have to keep our spiritual eyes open, our discernment eyes open. Because what happens is that we will not fight back if we're not aware of what's happening. You know, there's this thing that... They like to say on TV, it's a popular expression, says the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was to convince the world that he doesn't exist. To convince us that there's nothing wrong with us, it's just life. There's, you know, it's just things that are happening to you, that are coming at us, that are stealing our joy away, that are stealing our peace, that are stealing our faith, that are stealing all these sorts of different things. You know, Wayne, Pastor Wayne spoke about calling last week. And whenever you hear calling and you ever hear dreams and you hear these different things, you get so excited and you want to go do something. Like, I want to go do this. I want to go do that. I'm so, you know, you really feel the calling of God, the favor of God. You feel like, you know, you have the wind on your sails, the skies, you know, the seas are calm and, and the sky is wide open for you to take on the world. But when without noticing these little things come in to creep in, Tiny little things, tiny little slivers, tiny little hook that will pull you back, discourage you, annoy you, cause you to feel like the earth, irritated. And one of the things that will probably irritate you the most is us church people. The devil really likes using us, but we don't know. 
you know, you're excited about joining a team or a ministry and you feel like, you know, God is speaking to you and you want to use your gift. You have a calling to be a musician. You have a calling to be in, in hospitality and all of that. And you join the team and you get there and the, first, and the person who's been there the longest comes and he says, okay, so we take this and we put it over there, ne? Oh, and by the way, no one came. So yeah, just make sure you do your best. It's like, you know, you, you're excited and the only thing is just like, boop, pops your bubble. Boop. And what you end up doing is you get discouraged and you walk away. Because ultimately, that's the goal. Ultimately, that's his end goal is that you get discouraged and that you walk away. That was his end goal with Nehemiah is that they get discouraged and they will walk away. That they're discouraged and they'll stop building the wall that they will walk away. That you stop doing whatever you're doing and you walk away. And you feel discouraged. If you look at your life, I want to, like for a moment, can we take some time and we really look at our lives? What things in your world have you been so excited about, that you have been passionate about, have you been convinced about, that they've just been discouraged out of you? That have just been, you know, distracted away from you? That you've been afraid of? That you have all these other things that, you know, slowly, slowly have grinded out of you. We really have to be honest with ourselves at times. Jesus said the devil is the father of lies. And the greatest lie has a little bit of truth to it. Your insecurity, you know that thing that you don't tell anybody about? You know, your devil's been observing you all your life. He knows that little tiny insecurity, that you have an issue with how you look. You might just be, you might just be having a good time, having a good day, and someone will just say that tiny thing, that insecurity. You might be trusting God for provision, and you feel you have faith for provision, and you feel like God is going to do something great in your life. But you have a history of poverty. You have a history where you didn't have much. All he has to do is to remind you of that. Tiny little thing, just remind you of that. Then all of a sudden, you're back to your old self again. The worried, the depressed, the anxious, the, the whatever person that you were at that point in time. It's all these things. Every lie has a little bit of truth to it. And we have to be really good at discernment. We really have to be good at discernment. Discernment means that we have to be, look at things with a spiritual eye, not a natural eye. You know, look at sift life through God's word and through God and look at it. James 4 verse 7. This is how we fight back, by the way. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. We all know that the devil is a liar. No, 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 no. <laughs> I blame you for that one. <laughs> 
But if we're not aware of his tricks, we will never fight back. We will have the greatest arsenal and the greatest weapons to fight back, but we will just sit there and let him have his way with us and let let him have his way with our thoughts, cause you to become anxious, to become fearful, to become hopeless, to become doubtful. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. I feel like Nehemiah, this this is what probably was Nehemiah's life motto. Because at every turn, so it happened. This happened. Next response, submit to God. He's like, oh God. This happens. His response, oh God, my God, this God, God this, God that. You know, if you, whole, if you read the whole book of Nehemiah, it's not only Sanballat that tried to frustrate him, that tried to cause this, to cause this tension to come upon his life. Even his fellow Jews were trying to do funny things and all these other things. And he constantly was living a life where he had opposition, where he had things pushing up against him. But he constantly prayed. Even to the fact that the book of Nehemiah ends with these words. If you jump to the end, uh, where is that? Where is that? Where is that? Where is that? There we go. If you jump to the end, he, the last sentence in the book of Nehemiah says, remember, remember me with favor, my God. That's his whole life motto, his whole life situation. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Church, I want to encourage you. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12 says, let us lay aside every weight in every sin that so easily entangles us. But let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Let us fix our eyes and let us fix our gaze on Jesus. Whatever situation you might be going through, let God's word be true before the word of man, before the news, before whatever report before the circumstance, let God's word be true. Let him be true. Let his words, let it, let it be your weapon as you fight. Let us use God's word as our weapon. Submit to God, resist the devil. Luke 10 verse 19. It's probably one of my favorite scriptures because Wayne made us recite it so much on campus. I mean, like everyone we went to BFC with probably like wakes up and goes, ah! Behold! I give you authority to trample over snakes and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy and nothing shall by any means harm you. (laughs) I am a silly person, by the way. (laughs) Let us use our authority. God, Jesus has won it all. We serve a victorious God. We serve a powerful God. You know the thing about... You know the thing about weapons of warfare and weapons design is that one of the important factors of weapons design is the scare factor. It must be intimidating. I don't know whoever designed those lights, those guns in Star Wars really has a problem, needs to go back to, you know, design school because they go pew, 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 pew. If you go out there and you go to a military base, what you hear is very scary. The helicopters go over you. 
Machine guns go left, right, and center. If they don't sound like pew, 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 they're explosive. <laughs> Military vehicles come over you, they look scary. Whenever we used to see, whenever we used to see the army as children, we would run because it looks scary. It looks intimidating. That's the thing with the enemy is that he's trying to scare you. He's trying to intimidate you. He's trying to cause you to shrink back, to doubt, to have all these things. But let us use our authority. He's trying to make himself look bigger than he actually is. Have you ever seen cats fight? When cats fight, immediately the thing that they do when they're scared is they puff themselves up. They stretch up their claws and lift themselves up off the ground and they make themselves as big as possible. I mean like a cat. You can literally drop kick a cat from one this, from this side of the room to that side, but whenever it feels threatened, it'll go... <laughs> That's what the enemy is doing to you. He's like showing his claws and making himself seem like he's bigger than he actually is. And diminishing what God looks like and causing you to shift and be like, Oh... The great problems of this world. Oh, my great problems. All these things. Oh, oh, this, oh, that. Because you have shifted your focus on God. You're looking at Him. He's putting on a light show in your life. He's singing and dancing. Tiny little things singing and dancing in front of you. And if you entertain Him, He will have His way. Luke 10, verse 19. Use our authority. I give you authority to, sna- to trample over snakes and scorpions. Back to that funny story about my, uh, my, 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 my insomnia and my lack of sleep. I went to BFC and they taught us the scripture, right? And then when I went back to my room, I locked the door and I, and I said, you know what? Listen, whoever's in here, if I don't even see you or not, by the way, I felt very crazy, but anyways, you was hyped out, hyped out on Holy Spirit <laughs> gusto. I was like, whoever's in here, whatever's doing this, I'm telling you to go in Jesus' name. Yeah. I've had enough. <laughs> and I'm going to sleep now. And you will not distract me. Amen. And I went to sleep. Funny enough that it didn't happen. <laughs> I slept so well. We need to learn to use our authority. Speak the word of God. In closing, Ephesians 6 verse 10 reads like this. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of this dark age, against the spir- spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the day of evil. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. Having girded your loins with, with truth, having put breastplate of righteousness... <laughs> And having uh, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, take up the shield of faith with, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray always 
with all prayers, with all supplications in the spirit being, uh, being watchful to the end, with all perseverance and supplications to all the saints. Pray always. You know that song by Michael W. Smith says, this is how I fight my battle. We fight our battles in prayer. Our biggest weapons and our biggest, warf- our biggest weapons are our faith, the Word of God, the authority that God has given us in which we can truly exercise in prayer. One thing that the devil will stop you from doing is praying. If you can shut your mouth, that's it. If he can stop you from praying, he will do all kinds of tricks to make you feel like your prayers are ineffective. I don't know about you, but often when I set time to pray, you have this moment where you start off praying, right? And you start praying, and then a minute later, you kind of have this moment when you feel like, this feels ridiculous. This really feels ridiculous. I don't know what I'm doing. But you press in. And you press in. Then all of a sudden you kind of feel this resistance. Like there's something that says, oh, you feel like there's some resistance. And then you press in and you keep praying. Then all of a sudden you feel this breakthrough. And you feel this victory. Like, you know what? There's something, I feel like I'm pushing down stuff here. I feel like I'm breaking things down. I feel like I'm winning here. And you press through and you press through. And then finally there's this great release where it feels like poof. It's done. It's done. And then we walk away. But the thing is that some, most of the time what we do is we start and we just finish right there at that moment where we feel like this feels ridiculous. I'm sure God knows all my needs and he's heard me. He'll cover me. God bless me. Amen. <laughs> we need to press in, church. We need to press in. The, weapon, the warfare that we not fight is not a physical warfare. Let us, let us therefore not only respond in the physical, let us also respond in the spiritual. Let us respond in prayer. Can we all stand to our, to our feet? Oh, what a great word. Thank you, Spore. Let's give him a hand for laboring. Um, for the weapons of our warfare are mighty in God. For the overthrow and the destruction of strongholds and every high thing that lifts itself up against the name of God. Inasmuch as we take every thought captive into the obedience of Christ, ready to punish everything that is not of God. Amen. Saints, I, you know, while, while Spore's been preaching, I just kind of feel like for some of us, the battle rages right now. And, uh, and maybe you're in that place where, man, it's just battle. And you're struggling with oppressive thoughts, thoughts that are holding you back, uh, thoughts that are attacking your identity in Christ. Maybe they're thoughts that are attacking your destiny in Christ. Or, or maybe your thought, thoughts attacking just the way you think about people or circumstances that you're going through right now. Or maybe your hope you feel has been drained from you or whatever. What I want to do this morning, I want to open up the altar for some ministry. Um, as Paul was saying, one of the, our, our weapon is prayer. And what I found often is maybe you've just been sitting here and going, oh, I'm in a spiritual battle. I'm, 
I'm one of those people like, like I just, you know, I, I, I just, I can't be, you know, he can't be that bad and he's can't be really like, you know, it's not really a spiritual, maybe it's just me and I'm not eating right or whatever. You know, sometimes you think it's just you, but then I, as you go through a sermon like this, you realize, hang on, something's, there's resistance here. And, and, and what, you, what you need to do in a moment like this is you have to respond. And typically what I, I find is a good way to respond is, is, to, is, to, is to put the light, put the lights on and, and say to somebody, this is what's happening in my life. This is where I feel like the enemy's coming in. And you, what you do in that moment is you let the light shine. Because the, the, the enemy loves to work in darkness and he loves to isolate us. He likes to make you think that you're the only one with this thing and you just have to get through this by yourself. But, but when you come to somebody and you say, you know what, I'm struggling with this thing. Now there's light. And then when the Bible says when two or more agree, it is done. And so I want to create a moment for some light and for some agreement here in the house and for you to walk out of here getting the victory that you need. So, so we're going to open up just the altar. A.V., you're welcome just to put some music, ministry music on the, in the background. But, but I'm also going to close the service here because we're out of time. So if you want ministry, you're welcome just to come up to the front. You can even come up now. But I'm going to pray, close the service. You're welcome to join us for tea and coffee. First time visitors, remember there's a connect zone for you. But if you need ministry, if you need some light, if you need some agreement, come. Okay. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for turning on the lights for some of us this morning, Lord God. Thank you that you've given us the victory, Lord, that you call us to walk from victory to victory. Father God, that we do not have to live under the oppression of the enemy, Lord. He is a defeated foe, Lord. And you've called us, Lord God, to walk in victory and trample over those snakes and scorpions in our authority. So, Lord, I speak your blessing over this congregation this morning. I speak victory over every life, over every circumstance, Lord, over every battle that's raging right now. We declare the victory of God. God, in every circumstance, Lord, we thank you, Lord, that we are a mighty people, Lord, called for exploits. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Spore. Come on up to the front if you need some prayer. Thank you for tuning in. For more messages like these and other resources, you can visit our website at enderban.com. Remember to subscribe to our podcast channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Be blessed.